Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's really good to have you here. And if you're visiting with us for the first or second time, we extend a very special greeting to you. Now, last Sunday, we started a brand new series we're calling This Is Us. And yes, we borrowed that title from the critically acclaimed TV series with the same name. And the two main reasons I like This Is Us, the program, is A, my family watches it, and B, Milo Ventimiglia. And I like Milo not just because he's Italian, but way back in 2006, some 10 years before the pilot episode of This Is Us, Milo starred in the Rocky series. Some of you younger fans may not know that, but it's true. Milo played Sage, the son of Rocky, in Rocky Balboa. So he was my boy long before you even knew about him. All right, moving right along. The goal of this series is to rehearse the mission of our church, what we're all about, and to review the five main core values that we established some 27 years ago. Core values are attributes and traits that represent our highest priorities. And the five core values that we're covering in this series represent and communicate our deep convictions and the things that we do on a regular basis. What's at the very heart of all that we do? And since grace is a central theme of Christianity, and everybody loves grace, but we use the word grace to help us remember our five core values. So let's do this together, all right? Relationships matter, acts of service, compassion for others, everything belongs to God. One more time. God deserves to be first, relationships matter, acts of service, compassion for others, and everything belongs to God. Now last week, in lesson number one of this series, Sean Bono talked about the importance of relationships, and he highlighted our life group ministry. Today I want to talk about the G in grace, God deserves to be first. Say that again. God deserves to be first. God deserves to be first. Now, back in New Testament times, at the time of Christ, the Jewish people followed the law of Moses. And now I'm talking about 613 written laws and commands. And if that wasn't enough, the religious leaders added onto the pile a bunch of other traditions and rules and regulations and ceremonies. And at the top of this enormous list of commands were the Ten Commandments. And the book of Exodus tells us that the original Ten Commandments were written out by the finger of God. God literally wrote those commandments out on tablets of stone. And not long after he gave those tablets that he had written out to Moses, Moses witnessed the people disobeying God. And so he was hit with a little bit of righteous indignation. And he was so upset, he threw the two tablets of stone to the ground, and they broke into tiny little pieces. And do you remember what God did after that? 
He rewrote the Ten Commandments. He did it a second time. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 1 through 4 says, The Lord said to me, Moses speaking, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and come up to me on the mountain. I will write on the tablets the same words that were on the ones you smashed. So I, Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first two. Then I went up to the mountain with the tablets in my hand. Once again, the Lord wrote the Ten Commandments on the tablets and gave them to me. Now, when God himself takes the time to write out a document, give it to Moses, to me, that's a pretty important document. But when he does it twice, when he makes sure that that record is listed for everyone to know how weighty and how important it really is. Now, that's extremely significant to me. And so let's review the Ten Commandments this morning. They're listed in Exodus chapter 20 and then repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Commandment number one, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Number two, don't make or worship any false idols. Number three, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And these four commands that we just reviewed, they have to deal with our relationship with God. How we honor God, how we respond to God. The next six instruct us how to relate to each other. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, don't murder. Number seven, don't commit adultery. Number eight, don't steal. Number nine, don't lie or bear false witness. And number 10, don't covet. These are the 10 commandments that we all know, that we've all learned and heard about. And just to be on the same page or the same tablet, and again, this goes to prove that there's nothing new under the sun. And we have our tablets today, and God had his tablets back then. Just to make sure that we're on the same tablet, the Ten Commandments, just like any other written laws and commands, cannot save us. Did you hear me? The commandments of God, the instructions that he gave to us to follow, they cannot justify us or make us worthy or righteous in his sight. In fact, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul teaches us that when he said, therefore, no one, how many? No one will ever be declared righteous in his sight or in God's sight by observing the law, any part of the law. So keeping the Ten Commandments, honoring God by observing the Ten Commandments, that doesn't play into our righteousness or into our justification, but it certainly does our sanctification. And last month during the James series, I explained how those two Christian doctrines work together, justification and sanctification. If you missed it, I recommend that you listen to the podcast. I want to make it very clear. The Ten Commandments today are not in play when it comes to righteousness, but they certainly are when it comes to the way that we're supposed to live. Now, in Matthew chapter 22, a passage of Scripture that I have repeatedly told you about, the, the Scripture tells us that one day the religious leaders came to Jesus, they encountered him, 
and they wanted him to identify the greatest and most important commandment in the law. And from the text there, when, when you read what they were attempting to do, it, it becomes pretty clear that what they wanted was Jesus to select one of the Ten Commandments and to highlight that commandment as the most important one. And the religious leaders pretty much figured that was a no-win situation for Jesus. Because no matter which commandment of the ten he chose, there was going to be someone who disagreed. Someone who got offended that Jesus didn't pick their favorite one. And so they thought that they had Jesus over a barrel, and they were once again attempting to discredit him and undermine and invalidate his ministry. However, when pressed with that question, immediately Jesus responded, and in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, here's what Jesus said. You want the most important commandment? You want to know what's the most significant command that God ever gave? It's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Then Jesus said there's a second commandment. It's a lot like the first, but it's still it's the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus followed that all up with a summation. And in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 40, here's what he said. All of the law, all 613 of them, plus everything else that the religious leaders threw on the, the mix, all of the prophets, all the laws, they hang on these two commands. In other words, everything that God has ever required of us, anything that God has ever asked us to do, all of his expectations for his people are fulfilled in these two commands. And that's a powerful statement. Because in essence, what Jesus said, put God first. You want to know the most important commandment there is? God deserves to be first. That's what Matthew chapter 22 tells us. And that's where we got this whole concept from. Now, just recently, a Christian university professor, he passed out a list of Ten Commandments to all of his students. All the students in his class got a sheet of paper, and he had on that paper the Ten Commandments in random order. They were just ten statements on a piece of paper. And the professor asked his students to put the commandments in order of importance from their perspective. To look at those Ten Commandments and to analyze them and put them in order of their own importance. Over 90% of the students, these are Christian students, they reorganized and rewrote the Ten Commandments. Even though God wrote it out twice, gave us a specific order, they, re, they reorganized it. And what they did is they put the bottom four, pardon me, the top four of the commandments, the ones that indicate how we're supposed to respond to God, they put those toward the bottom or the less significant portion of the list. Then they took the six commandments that have to do with how we relate to one another and involve our human relationships, and they elevated them to the top of the list. You see, it's just human nature, especially in our culture today, to think that our relationship with one another, even though we love the Lord, is more important than our relationship with God. We just think that. Because we relate to one another, because we're involved in each other's lives, for some reason we think in our mind, that relationship that we have 
with people is more important than the relationship we have with God. But Jesus taught otherwise. He made it very clear in Matthew chapter 22. You want importance? You want greatest? God first. And then everyone else. And then in addition to the first commandment, second commandment order that he gave to us, during the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus said this, Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else that you desire will be given as well. From the teaching of Jesus, there is a blessing that comes to us. This blessing follows us when we put God first. When we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, when God becomes the top priority in everything that we do, when we understand this order, how important it is to work on our relationship with God first and then the one with everyone else, Jesus said there's a blessing that comes. And please don't misunderstand me. There's a blessing that comes when we relate to each other the right way as well. And I think over the past 10 or 20 years, the church has done a better than average job of communicating and teaching how to live a blessed and abundant Christian life. How to be present in the lives of your family members. How to be there for your children and your grandchildren. How to work on your relationship with your wife or with your husband. How to support your church and get involved. How to live a life of integrity and show generosity and reach out to the poor and the needy. And I commend you for all of these things. Your willingness to want to live that way. That is proof of spiritual productivity and fruitfulness in our lives and in the lives of the church. But what about this whole notion of putting God first? Each and every day. In our daily lives, with all the decisions that we make. What does that even look like today? When you have Christian students taking instructions from God and putting the relationships with people above our relationship with God, that tells me we have to rethink this. So how do we live lives today where we put God first? Well, let's look at a very familiar story found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. Mark the 10th chapter, verses 17 to 32. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you'll recognize this as what's called the, the story of the rich young ruler. Very wealthy man. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud or covet. Honor your father and your mother. This is Jesus instructing this young man in the commandments. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, 
and then come follow me. And at this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth or because he had great possessions. Okay, a young man or a man came to Jesus. He came respectfully because the scripture says he bowed on his knees before Jesus. And he asked him a question. Probably that question came from some emptiness in his life or a decision that he wanted to make sure that he was in right standing with God. And so he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, right off the bat, let's start with the commandments. And he listed six of the ten. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet, honor your parents. And it's very interesting to me that the six commandments that Jesus identified for this man were the six that have to do with human relationships. He didn't mention any of the four. Jesus didn't even touch on the top four commandments that have to do with our relationship with God, how we honor God, how we love God, how we put God first. And so in response to Jesus' answer, to keep those six commandments, uh, the wealthy man, he's elated. And he says to Jesus with a lot of confidence, that's great because I've been able to keep all of these commandments since I was a boy. And as soon as he made that statement, the scripture tells us that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I believe Jesus loved him because I believed that he was telling the truth. That he was one of the good guys. And he lived his life in right relationship with the people around him. And he did everything that he possibly could to follow the instructions of those six commands that Jesus had just outlined for him. So he was happy. But that prompted Jesus to say, you lack one thing. You still lack something. All right, so you're good with your relationships with people and, and you've been doing these things that, that God has commanded you and, and that's fine, but I, I know there's an emptiness and you lack one thing. Go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And when Jesus said you lack one thing, because of what transpires in the scripture following that statement, we conclude that the one thing that this young man lacked was a willingness to let go of his money and his stuff. That he just refused to surrender that to God and follow the instructions of Jesus. He was wealthy. He had possessions. He was not about to let those go. And he walked away sadly. Scripture confirms that he hung his head and chose not to do that. Now over the years, the past 35 years, whenever I preached on this particular story, it's been a bunch of times, I've colored the story up a little bit, I've changed the emphasis around here and there. But it always came back to the money. Whenever I would tell the story, I was fixated on the fact that this young man 
refused to walk away from his possessions and his things. So to me, it was all about the money. Rather than sacrifice to God the things that he held so dear and follow the commandment and the instructions of Jesus, he put his comfort and his security and his dependence on worldly wealth. And so when Jesus asked him to walk away from it all, he said, no way. But what if, what if when Jesus was trying to get his attention, it had very little to do with the money, and the one thing that he lacked had more to do with having a put God first attitude. So the challenge that Jesus had presented to him would help him to make proper decisions that would allow him to understand the most important achievement that he could ever attain in this life and that would prepare him for eternal life was to put God first. To love the Lord his God with all of his heart and to love him more than he loved anything else. Not just to be successful. Not just to attain great things. Not to be seen as wealthy in other people's eyes. But to literally fulfill the plan and purpose that God had when he created him in the first place. What if that was what Jesus was attending? Because everything about the ministry of Jesus, everything about his teachings, always pointed us to a place of putting God first. You can't find an example in the scripture where Jesus wasn't exalting the Father. And so in the time remaining this morning, what I'd like to do is to give you four ways to put God first. Four practical ways to work God into your life so that he becomes number one in all that we do. And in the process, not just assess yourself at the end of the day and say, you know, I'm doing pretty good, but rather know that you're in the very center of God's will, doing the thing that he called you to do, living your life here on this earth in response to his intention for you, knowing that you are not just living the dream, but you're fulfilling his dream that he has for you. So um, what I want to do here is give you four ways to do that. And you're just going to have to take my word on this one. But when you get to the end of your days, you're going to really want to be able to echo the testimony that Paul gave in 2 Timothy 4.7 when at the end of his life he said, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, I kept the faith. Say that, I kept the faith. One more time, I kept the faith. There's a war for your faith today. Here's a little tidbit of information that comes to you free of charge. Only one way that you're going to be able to keep the faith. With God's help. We still need God. All of the things that we've been able to accomplish all of the strides we've made in every area of our lives, those are all good things. But if you want a testimony like the one that Paul had, that you kept the faith to the end, you still need God.
And so let's talk about four ways to put God first. Number one, give God first place in your heart. Give God first place in your heart. That's where it all starts. Not just in your thoughts, not just in your actions, but in your heart. Proverbs 23, 26 says, My son, my daughter, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. Let me ask you a question. When you make an honest and sincere assessment of your heart, what occupies the most space? Is it a person? Is it a possession? Is it a pleasure? Is it a job? Or a sport? What is it? What consumes you as you live out your life day by day? And please understand, all of these rewarding and wonderful gifts that God has given to us, he wants us to enjoy them. He wants us to live an abundant Christian life, and he has blessed us with good things. But when we have an overemphasis on any of these, what they do is they rob us of the greatest treasure that we could ever have, which is to love God and live for him. When we're consumed with all these other things, it takes away from our ability to put God first. Now, I have found when my first thoughts in the morning and my last thoughts in the evening include some meditations on the goodness of God, that's when I live at the highest spiritual level. And when I'm in a good place spiritually, when I'm effectively able to overcome my doubts and my fears, when I find myself tethered to the promises of God and believe the word of God like I should, it's usually because I have spent the proper amount of God time during the day. This whole idea of rightly, being rightly related to God, putting God first, starts with the heart. And so everything that you do as a believer, everything that we do as Christians should feed into that one thing. It should all point us in the direction of God. All right, number one, give God first place in your heart. Number two, give God the first day of the week. Let's say that one together. Give God the first day of the week. And by that I mean Sunday, the Lord's Day. Now some people think Monday's the first day of the week. I like to think of it as Sunday. And there's absolutely no better way to start off a brand new week than in God's presence, in his house. David taught us that in the Psalms. Read through the book of Psalms. You'll find out how much he loved the presence of God. In Psalm 122, verse 1, David wrote, I was glad. Say that. I was glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of, let's go to the house of the Lord. That word glad is more than being just a little bit happy or having a smile on your face. It, it means to have exceeding gratefulness, joy, and, and to rejoice. David was a worshiper. He loved the, the presence of God. He looked forward to times in God's house and in God's presence. 
And he did not miss an opportunity to express thanks and praise to his great God. And, and I really enjoyed the emphasis that Phil put on our worship time this morning because that's what it was all about. In addition to anything else you might get from church or you might want to get from church, don't ever undermine or minimize the need to say thank you to God, to praise Him. He's worthy of all of our praise. A lot of times we get church backwards a little bit. We're always trying to grab at something, get something, and we can come to church to get the spiritual gifts that we need. God always wants to minister to us. He knows where we're at and what we desperately are looking for. But understand, being in his house on the Lord's Day gives us opportunity to just say, thank you, God. Thank you for your goodness in my life. I'm taking a little bit of time at the beginning of this week to let you know how grateful I am, how glad I am to be in your house. And then from week to week, if you should miss church, and I understand it happens, we're busy people, then I would highly recommend that you would allot a little bit of other time during your week where you can focus in on that same objective. Just to spend a little time offering praise and thanksgiving to God. He's worthy of that. All right, the third way to put God first, and again, I'm giving you a few practical ways here to do that, is to give God the first consideration in any major decision you have to make. All right, so we're going to involve God in our decision-making process. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, this is a life verse for me. I mean, it flows through my veins. It's not just words on a page or a passage of Scripture. I believe this with all my heart. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll direct your path, or he'll make your path straight. Seeking God when making decisions means that you spend a little time in prayer. Now, that may sound overly simplistic, but sometimes we don't do that. We have all of these major considerations and decisions that we need to make, and the last person that we involve is God. The scripture says that when you lack direction, when you lack guidance, when you're making a decision, you don't know which way to go, you can ask God. And guess what? God will show you the way. God will be glad to let you know specifically what direction you should go. And we're faced with decisions, multiple decisions every day of our lives. And God said, when you have major decisions, when you have decisions, if you come to me and you lack wisdom and guidance, I'll give it to you. And sometimes what God does, he just prompts you in your heart. I mean, you could you know, be stuck not knowing which way to go, and all of a sudden you have your answer because God's given you the answer. He's impressed upon you which way to go. Sometimes he speaks to you through his word, either the written word or the preached word. Sometimes he uses people to encourage us in the direction that we should go. And when you involve God in your decision-making process, it includes your being willing to go in his direction and not your own. See, that's the tricky part. Because when you ask God about something, and you want to go one way, and you're just saying, God, confirm that to me. And he's going, no, I want you to go this way. It's kind of hard to let go of your own way. The key is not to be stuck on an island all by yourself, calling the shots, doing your own thing. Surround yourself with the word of God and with people who you can trust. 
who have some spiritual experience and would be happy to support you in prayer. All right, the fourth and final way to make or put God first in our lives is to give God the first part of your finances. And some of you knew this was coming. I mean, I can't hardly talk about first without the tithe. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9, which is just a few verses after the trust passage found in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your crops or increase. You know, some people think that when they give money to God, they're going to be poor and destitute. They're not going to be able to pay their bills. They're not going to be able to have all the things that everybody else has. I mean, if we're going to give money to God, if we're going to be giving money to the church, then how are we going to be able to buy the things that we want? Well, the scripture says quite the opposite, that when you give, it shall be given back to you. And not only does God cover your cost, but he adds a little bit. He raises you up a little bit. He literally throws open the floodgates of heaven and he pours out a blessing for you. And I've mentioned this to you over and over again. Every time I talk about tithing, I make sure that you understand that it's okay to have nice stuff. God doesn't mind when you buy yourself new things or when you you have good good possessions. He He loves that. His word supports it. As long as you don't live beyond your means and as long as you remember to sow some of what God has blessed you with into the kingdom of God. Because when you do that, like Pastor Chris mentioned earlier, we, it allows us to be able to minister to different groups of people. It helps us to bring change and transformation into other people's lives. And so when we give... When we sow into the kingdom of God, not only is there a blessing coming here on this earth, but the scripture also says we lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven. And so it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. And I want to close out today's message with a short little tithing testimony. This brother writes, I started attending Community Christian Church five years ago during the Freedom Project. Great time to come. He said, during my first few visits, some guy, that would be me, (laughs) was standing up in front of the church asking to raise a million dollars. I thought to myself, who is this guy? (laughs) But after hearing Pastor Tony's passion and the attention behind the special offering, I decided to not only give a 10% tithe to the church, but also make a sizable donation to the Freedom Project. I've been in my business now, for my own business, for over 20 years, and I have never made as much money as I did that year. And since that time, I've noticed whenever God lays it on my heart to give, he always responds with a blessing. Sometimes it comes right away, other times it's later on. God always gives me more than I could ever expect or hope for, and has become so rewarding for me to see God working in my life when I follow his lead. What an awesome creator we have. His words, not mine. Again, one of our top core values here at our church. We established this back in 1992 when we first got rolling as a church. 25, 30 people. We said what we want to do here at our church and what we're all about, part of our mission, part of what we build into our lives is this whole understanding and mindset that God deserves to be first. 
in our everyday lives, how we conduct ourselves, how we invest, how we relate to one another. At the top of the list, not in the middle, not down below, God deserves to be first. Here's four ways to do that. Give him first place in your heart. Give him the first day of the week. Give him first consideration in all of your major decisions. And don't be afraid to give him the first part of your finances. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we're going to take just a minute here now before our closing song to just think about those words. Five words. God deserves to be first. And I'm just going to ask you to personalize what I'm saying right now. God, I want you to be first in my life. I want you to be first because when I get to the end of my days, I want to be able to say what Paul said. That I fought a good fight. And I finished my course. And I kept the faith. And Lord, I don't want anything to interfere with that kind of a mindset. A young man came to Jesus, very sincere, very believable, loving man. And he said, what? what do I have to do to remove this emptiness inside? How can I make sure that everything's right between God and me? And when Jesus gave him the answer, he walked away. He couldn't do it. Father, I never want to walk away from what you're prompting me to do. And so I come to you, God. I present myself before you. And I declare to you with thanksgiving and praise in my heart that I want you first. I thank you for everything else that you've given to me. I thank you for this great nation that we live in, the freedoms that we have, the opportunities that we have here. But Lord, above and beyond all of that, I want you first in my life because that's where you deserve to be. And so move in my heart, Lord. And move in my life. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.